Welcome to the Faith Assembly Podcast. Join us this Sunday at one of our four campuses. Call times are at 9 and 11 a.m. at our Somerville and Remount campuses, 10 a.m. at our North Charleston campus, and 11 a.m. at our Monk's Corner campus. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Larry Burbacher. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit faithishere.org. All right, welcome to today's episode of The Apprentice. You, <laughs> you are... There's, there's a test going on, uh, and it's to see whether you're going to be hired or fired. And I'm going to tell you, there, there's going to be a test. There's tests coming our way, and uh, we don't want to hear at the end time someone say, You're fired. We're waiting to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Now, I'm going to get this thing off because it feels like it's alive. <laughs> Sorry, guys. I know you love it. Take your Bibles out. Turn, turn to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3, verse number 19. I was going to say there was a good spirit in the house. There was, past tense. <laughs> no, nah, the Lord's still here. He hasn't left. Uh, Stand with me. Turn your Bible. 1 John chapter 3, verse number 19. We're talking about the test real test. John is all about reality. What is real? What is not real? And, uh, and so we've been studying this together. We've been taking kind of a spoof on reality television. And so we're on The Apprentice today, but really it's a test. What is the test that God has for every one of us? And I'll start with verse number 19. And I do need a little lights up here. Thank you. Uh, 19, it says, you're fired. No, I'm just kidding. I love you, buddy. I love you. You're great. <laughs> Don't leave. <laughs> I'm in a firing mood today. Yeah. Verse number 19, this is how we know that we belong to the truth. Notice the phrase, this is how we know. You'll see it several times in the book of John. You'll see it twice in our text. It's the bookends of our text, verse number 19, and then you'll see it again in verse number 24. This is how we know. Have you ever wondered, am I really saved? Am I really a believer? Am I really a Christian? John writes, this is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. We sang about that assurance, that blessed assurance, that rest we can have in his presence. For God is greater than our hearts. Aren't you glad he's greater than your hearts? And he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything he asks because we obey his commands and do what pleases him. And this is the command, to believe in the name of the Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he has commanded us. Those who obey his commands live in him, and he in them, and this is how we know that he lives in us. We know by the Spirit he gave us. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the presence of the Holy Spirit. And we pray, God, that you would try our hearts again today, that we have pure hearts before you. Touch your people, I pray. Open up the word of God. May we receive it into our spirits, we pray today. We ask it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Turn to someone and say, you're fired, and then you may be seated. The U.S. Treasury has a special 
group of men to track down counterfeiters. And they are trained how to detect counterfeit bills from the real bills. But what they do is you might think they look at all the potential counterfeit bills that are out there, but the way they really study, the way they literally train themselves on how to recognize the counterfeit is by studying the real thing. And so they'll spend hours studying and feeling and looking at and studying the real thing, the, the real dollar bills, and that way when an when a, a counterfeit bill comes along their path, they can either by their sight or by their feel readily recognize if that's the real thing or if that is a counterfeit. He says in verse 19 and again in verse 24, this is how we know. How can you know if you really are a Christian, if you're really a Christ follower, or you're just a counterfeit, or you're just a phony? How can we know? It's a good question today. Uh, John gives several tests, and we're going to see today, we're going to look at some of these tests, and we're going to see from God's Word how we can know this morning if I am really a Christ follower or not. And the first test he gives is found in verse uh, 19, 20, 21. It's the test of a pure heart. The test of a pure heart. Is your heart pure before God. And, and John writes, sometimes our hearts need reassurance. We have doubts that come in. We lose our peace. We lose our rest. And so our, our hearts need to be reassured. So he says in verse 20, whenever our heart condemns us. Now, as you read that phrase, whenever our heart condemns us, it's a suggestion that this is not a very unusual circumstance, uh, but could happen quite frequently. Whenever your heart condemns you, (coughs) excuse me, sometimes the accusations that come into our heart, they condemn us, they rob us of peace. Sometimes those accusations are false. The Bible says that there is an accuser of the brethren who is out there to accuse us and he will bring back past sins and he will try to rob you of your joy and he will come against you and he'll bring up every accusation he can think of of anything you may have ever done in your life and so sometimes the accusation is directly from the enemy and it is false. And there are other times that our heart may accuse us but it is true. And when that happens, when there is unconfessed sin in our hearts and my lives, I go to 1 John 1, 9, and he says, if we confess that sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But look at the, the comfort in verse number 20. He says there, whenever our hearts condemn us, for our God is greater than our hearts. Aren't you glad God is greater? God already knows what's going on inside of us, uh, and because God is greater, he is able to forgive you from any sin that may come up in your heart. For our God is greater. And then he gives us a couple of things that result from that. First of all, he says in verse 19, he gives us assurance. Or it says in the New International Version, he gives us rest. This is how we know we belong to the truth, and how we set our hearts at rest in him. Isn't it a great joy to know when your heart is totally at peace and totally at rest with God? John kind of sets up a trial here. He, he has these three uh, 
components of the trial. The first is the heart. He says, whenever our heart accuses us. So in this text, it looks like the heart is the accuser. He's bringing the accusations. Uh, We ourselves are the defendants, uh, and God is the ultimate judge. Uh, But what John is saying is, our hearts are not infallible. They will make mistakes. They do go astray. Uh, In fact, the word of God says, the heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. Who can know it? But I've got good news for you. God knows the heart. And God is greater than our hearts. It's condemnation on trial, maybe just or unjust, uh, but when that that peace is not there, the Bible says, I can always appeal to God who is greater. He is the greater judge. The omniscience of God is not meant to scare or frighten the child of God and say, oh, God knows everything. But, but because God is omniscient, because he is greater than our hearts, uh, that gives me the freedom to go to him and find that rest and find that peace because I want to tell you there is a perfect place of peace in the center of God's will. And so if your heart's troubling you, we have someone who is greater than we can go to. God knows what's already on the inside. The devil comes along and he tries to rob you of your peace. He tries to rob you of your assurance. He tries to get you to question your salvation. But I want to tell you, once you go to Jesus Christ and say, God, I'm a sinner. God, you cleanse me. God, you come in and and, and take everything away. We can have faith in God's character that it's gone. And, And any condemnation that comes our way is a false accusation, a false condemnation so don't allow the enemy to come in and rob you of your peace take away your joy god can give you an incredible peace an incredible rest and in the presence of his holy spirit it tells us that everything is okay with god he's a joy thief satan's a joy thief he's a liar And when he brings those accusations, say, devil, you're a liar. Jesus says, I'm a child of God. I am cleansed by his blood. Nothing can separate me from the love of God. Get out of my face. Get out of my heart. And and you rest in the Lord Jesus Christ. There is an assurance that I can have because his spirit dwells there. There's a song we used to sing. It says, oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. And because one is greater, he invites us to come to him with boldness and assurance and confidence. Which leads me to my second point, and that's simply this. Not only can we have confidence that our hearts are pure, but we can have a confidence that our prayers will be answered. That's a confidence we have today. That not only I can pray to God, but God will also answer those prayers Look at verse 21. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And look what the promise is in verse 22. And receive from him anything we ask because we obey his commands and do what pleases him. Now the word there for confidence is the word for boldness. It can be translated freedom of speech. It's that, it's that boldness to take whatever request we have before the Lord. We have confidence that God will answer our prayer. In other words, I don't approach God in fear, but I approach God as a child going to his heavenly father. 
Your children aren't afraid to run up and jump in your lap and say, Daddy, I want this, I need this. And they're not afraid you're going to knock them off or, or cast them away or say, Son, that's stupid. But you're going to receive them and you're going to answer their request to the best of your ability. Well, verse 22 says, I have confidence to go to him in prayer. And not only go to him in prayer, but I have a confidence that God will answer my prayer. That whatever I ask, I have confidence that God has an answer because God is greater. Now the condition, there's a condition there in verse 22 for answered prayers. And the condition is this, because we obey his command and do what pleases him. Now if for some reason you feel like your prayers aren't being answered, it may be because you're not doing what pleases him and you're not obeying his commands. But when you're living in that place of obedience, when you're right in the center of God's will, when your whole heart's desire is about pleasing God, then I can go to him with any need, any request, any time, morning, noon, or night. I have confidence. Now, in the word of God, there's a lot of conditions for God answering prayer. We know that we can pray. We know that because the veil has been rent, and that bit was alluded to by Pastor Tyler this morning, because the veil has been rent, I can come into the presence of God. I can boldly ask for whatever I need because his blood, his flesh, has made a way of entry. And so as a child of God, I can go to my Heavenly Father anytime with any need. And then he says, but the confidence to know that my prayers will be answered is based on obedience. Now he gives some other things. In John 15, 7, he says, if we ask anything according to his will. So I want to make sure that I am in the center of God's perfect will. And this is the same thing he says in John. If I am obeying him, if I am doing what is pleasing to God, then it stands to reason I am also right there in the center of his will. In John 16, he says, we'll have anything we ask of him if we pray in his name. And so there's something about praying in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. There's an authority there. It's not a formula. It's not a magical formula that we just say in the name of Jesus. Uh, But when we know who Jesus is, when we know what he means in our life, when we know the power he has, then I can ask anything in his name that is according to his authority and power. It says in James 4 that if I ask anything according to God's glory and not my own. And so he says we ask according to his will. We don't ask amiss. And so if I'm asking just something for me, that I will be lifted up, that somehow I'll be exalted through this, God won't answer that prayer. But if I pray, God, that you might be glorified, he will answer that prayer. James chapter 5, he says he won't hear our prayers unless our heart is first cleansed. If I regard iniquity in my heart, God will not hear me. And then in Mark 11, it says God won't answer our prayer if I have ought against somebody else. How can I expect to go God and say, God, I need this, I need that, but we haven't forgiven one another and we haven't loved one another. And he says that will become a blockage to answer prayer. And then he also says in God's word, God will answer our prayer if we have faith to believe. He says, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, uh, God can answer your prayer. And so as you study the New Testament, you study the Word of God, there are a lot of uh, conditions for God answering prayer. Here the condition is, if we obey His commandments and we do what pleases God. 
Now the secret of our obedience as a child of God is found in John 14, 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Our obedience always grows out of love. It's not I obey as a slave or out of fear or out of servitude or because of punishment, but I obey God simply because I love God. This is not some kind of return to the law and legalism. It is the spirit that gives life, uh, but I still obey the Lord uh, uh, because I love him. I just love God and I want to do what pleases him. There's a story in, in Luke chapter 15 of the, of the prodigal son. And, and the focus often of that story is on the son who goes away, goes into the far country, and uh, then comes home. And his father's there with the open arms, gives him back all the inheritance. There's a great big party in his honor because my son, which is lost, has now come home. But there's an older son that we sometimes forget about. The older son stayed right there on the farm. The older son kept doing all the same stuff. The older son served diligently for years. But even though one son went away physically, the other son had already departed in his heart. He was in the far country in his own spirit. Because the Bible says when his younger son came back, he became angry, he became jealous. He says, you never threw a party for me. You never killed the fatted calf for me. I've been here all this time. I have been serving you faithfully. But he didn't have the heart of his father. Because he's filled with jealousy and anger. And it's possible for us to come to church and do the religious thing and go through the motions and hang tight and still be tied up with anger and bitterness and disobedience and all those things going on inside of us. And that's not the kind of obedience God's looking for. It's the kind that says, God, I love you and I just want to serve you and I want to be like you. And so obedience then becomes that condition for answered prayer. And and what happens is when I delight in the Lord that way, then God delights to answer his children. And so we read in Proverbs 37, 4, Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Now look at verse 23 again. I just want to point one thing up as we study the word this morning. And this is the command to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. Now, John, and we we hit it right out of the gate. Chapter 1, you hit it again, you hit it again. Three times there's long treatises on love in the book of John. And John's whole thing is if if you really love God, then you ought to be loving one another. He says it's inconsistent to say, I love God and I care about him, but I don't love my brother. And so he has these two things together. The word believe, he says if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that's in past tense. In other words, that refers back to this one time when I believed and I received and I asked Jesus Christ to come into my heart. I commit my life to him. Believe. You have believed in Christ, past tense. But the word love is in the present progressive tense. In other words, that is an ongoing practice of every single child of God. And so I believe in Christ at one point in time when I surrender my life to him, but I love Christ and I keep on loving Christ. And because I keep on loving Christ, his love is shed abroad in my hearts to other people. 
It just has got to come out. And that is an ongoing word there. Now look at verse number 18. And I didn't read it to you, but I want to get to it now. Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. It's pretty strong. He says to love in words means to talk about love. And we all talk about love. And we come to church and talk about love. And, and, and we talk about love, love, love. And, and we, we talk all about it. And we'll even discuss a need. And we'll say, boy, isn't that a tragedy? What's going on in the Philippines? Or what's going on next door? Or what's happening with this family or that family? And we talk about just what a bad situation it is. But real love calls for sacrificial deeds. Real love, John says, is not just talk. We talk about it and then do, do nothing. In fact, sometimes we do the opposite. We gossip and, and, and we backbite and we attack and we run people down. He says love not just in word, but love in deeds. Real love is sacrificial. Real love is active. Real love gives away. And when God's church is really loving, uh, that we will be touching our community and touching our neighborhoods in an incredible way that will attract people to Jesus Christ. And then he says love, he, he uses two words. Not, he, first he says don't just love in word. He says don't just love in tongue. He contrasts that as the opposite of truth. Look at the text again. Dear children, it's not love in word. He compares that to actions. Or in tongue, he compares that to the truth. Loving with your tongue is the opposite of loving in truth. In other words, the tongue is insincere. If you love just in tongue, it's insincere, it's artificial, it's not genuine, it's not real. But when you love in truth, you genuinely love someone from the heart. And when you love someone from your heart, and it shows in sacrificial deeds, and it's real, it will attract sinners to the Lord Jesus Christ. Love not just in tongue or in word, but love in deeds and love in truth. And so when a believer, in verse 24, the Bible says, those who obey his commands live in him, and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know by the spirit he gave us. And so that indwelling spirit gives me a peace and an assurance and a confidence that I'm a child of God. And my heart's right before the Lord. So there is that, that first test, the test of a pure heart. Now the second test is this. It's the test of pure doctrine. One thing to know that my heart is right with God and, my, and there's rest in my heart and God's cleansed my heart and, and, and I have that, that peace. But he goes on to the second test. That's the test of pure doctrine. Let's pick it up with verse number one. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of Antichrist, which you have heard is coming, and even now is already in the world. Now, now John is saying there are many false spirits in the world, and there are many true spirits in the world. Okay, this is how you know the spirits. 
to know what spirit is true and what spirit is false. And these spirits in the spirit realms, uh, they, they, they spread error or they spread truth through men. So the, the Holy Spirit of God speaks through me, through the study of his word and through his word, and he speaks to your heart. But there is also a spirit of antichrist. And he also speaks and works through the mouths of men. Now, John is in the early church, and he, he's writing this letter at the end of the first century. And so the church has exploded, and, and God's been doing great things, and, and he writes this very, very important letter because already the church is under attack doctrinally. And he says there are false spirits that are out there that are attacking the deity and humanity of Jesus Christ. And he said, this is how you know. If they don't say Jesus Christ came in the flesh, was born of Mary, uh, lived in human body. You see, if he did not do that, he could not be our sacrifice. So if you miss that point, you miss the centrality of Christ. So you must believe, first of all, that he is fully human, but you must also believe that he is the Christ, he is the Messiah, and he is fully God. Jesus Christ is the perfect man-God, thus he is the only one that could pay for my sins and pay for my sacrifice. He said, this is how you know. Now, I want to tell you who Christ is, is the whole centrality of our Christian faith. It is all based on who he is. Jesus Christ asked the rabbis, tell me, what do you think of Christ? And, and then he, he asked his disciples, he says, he says, whom do men say that I am? And Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, makes this statement, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And he says, flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you. That is a revelation of the Holy Spirit of God. That is the true spirit working through you, Peter, right now. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And it's that same spirit that inspires us to say that Jesus Christ has both come in the flesh and he has been sent from God and he is God. Don't get off in that. There was a heresy going around, and I'm I'm not going into a whole lot of detail, but it was called Gnosticism. And it was erupting in the first century, and John's whole letter is to combat this heresy of Gnosticism. And they both denied the humanity of Christ, they also denied the deity of Christ. And they said something like this. They say that Christ and the man Jesus were two separate people. And basically, that, that when, when, when he was born, he was born as Jesus, a man. But when he was baptized in water and the Holy Spirit came upon him, it was at that moment he became the Christ or divine. But before he died or when he died on the cross, Christ left him and he died as a man. They had this whole warped theology that somehow uh, flesh was evil and the spirit was good. Therefore, Christ could not have died as a As the son of God, he died strictly as a man, so Christ left him. And when he died, his body just dissolved and went into the ground or or wherever it might have gone, and his spirit remains on. And some in Gnosticism went so far as to say that Jesus, even while he lived on the earth, was simply a spirit or an apparition that flitted around in human form. 
So John writes, listen to me, guys. He said, that is the spirit of Antichrist. That is a false spirit. You must believe, first of all, in the perfect humanity of Christ as well as the perfect deity of Christ. He is the perfect God-man. He was born of a virgin, uh, Mary. We're going to be celebrating that big time next month. Uh, He came to earth as a man in the flesh, lived among the, the, the disciples, 33 years on the earth, but he has always been from the first to the last, the divine son of God. And he lives on forever, and he is the Lord Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And and John says, if you mess that up, if you don't get that basic theology of Christianity down, you are of the spirit of Antichrist. You are anti-Messiah, anti-Christ, anti-the anointed one. Now, now, now listen to me today. There are all kinds of voices around clamoring for our attention. And, he, and, and John, just as he told the early church, try the spirits, test the spirits. I want to challenge you guys. Try the spirits and test the spirits. Everyone who knocks on your door on a Saturday morning is not of Christ. They may carry a Bible with them, uh, but listen to me. If they deny the humanity and deity of Jesus Christ, they are of Antichrist. There is an urgent need for discernment among believers today because the church is very, very gullible. And if we put them on a television screen or they put on shirts and ties and knock on our door, or we, sometimes there is a naive readiness to accept their message. John says, try the spirits, test the spirits. If they deny of who Christ is, they're of antichrist. Jehovah's Witness is a cult. They will teach you, and and, and please, God loves every Mormon, every Jehovah's Witness person out there. This is not aimed at any individual, so don't get angry with me. I just need to tell you very clearly what their doctrine teaches. They say the Son of God was created. He was a created being. He has not always been God. He is lesser than God. He was the archangel Michael who became a man at the birth of Jesus Christ. The man Jesus is forever dead, And the body has dissolved somewhere, but his spirit lives on. Now, this is is Gnosticism repackaged by a new name today. Okay? John says this is the spirit of Antichrist. Almost every deviant form of the Christian faith in some way diminishes or distorts the person of Christ. The test is simple. Was Jesus truly God's Messiah, the Word made flesh? Is he truly man? Is he truly God? If you can say that, if you believe that, that's the test of our Christianity and who we are. He was either God in flesh appearing or he is not worthy of consideration, much less worship. The person of Christ is central to everything. I want to read a quote. And listen to me, it's by C.S. Lewis out of his book, Mere Christianity. And he just so succinctly uh, describes the dilemma. Listen to this. 
I am trying here to prevent anyone from saying that silly thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That's, that's the one thing we mustn't say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said wouldn't be a great moral teacher. He'd either be a lunatic on the level with a man who said he's a poached egg, or else he'd be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman and something worse. You can't shut him up for a fool. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord. But don't let us come with a patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He hasn't left that upon us. He didn't intend to. In other words, C.S. Lewis saying that's not an option. You can't say he's a great moral teacher when God himself, when Jesus himself, claimed to be fully God. So he's either a liar or a lunatic. Because Jesus said, I am God. I am the Son of God. You've seen me. You've seen the Father. And so you can't just call him some great historical figure in history, some great man. He's either a liar or a lunatic, or he is who he said he was, the divine Son of God. Look at verse number four, and I'm wrapping it up. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Now, the overcoming there is not so much moral. That's a great scripture we like to quote about us overcoming temptation and sin and all those kind of things. But keep it in context. He's talking about doctrinal purity. And he says, church, you have tried the doctrines. You have tested them. You have proven them to be false. And therefore, you have overcome that world mentality about who Christ is. John's words of warning and guidance and encouragement were at the close of the New Testament. You can imagine how much comfort this and strength this must have been to the early church who is now being tested and tried by every heresy to come down the pike. But here's the good news. God says, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not stand against it. In Christ Jesus, we do overcome because his spirit is the spirit of truth. And he says that spirit of truth abides in you, and because he abides in you, you can overcome all this false teaching and that spirit of antichrist that is out there in the world. And I've got good news because his spirit is greater than the spirit of antichrist. We win. We win. And so John says, test the spirits. To put it in very simple language, there's a lot of phony baloney going on. A lot of phony baloney teachings going around. But he said, this is how we know. There's some tests we can make to see if we're okay. And the first test is a little bit subjective, but nonetheless very real. It's the test of your heart. 
Is the Spirit of Christ living inside of you? Is your heart pure before God? Is there, have you confessed your sins? Have you come to the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you surrendered your heart and life to Him? And when you do that, His Spirit comes and lives inside of you. The second test is more objective. It's a test of pure doctrine. And is Christ who He said He was? And is that your confession of faith? Do you declare that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? come in the flesh, gave his life for us, rose again on the third day. You declare that. Are are you right doctrinally? And he says those two tests will really test and see if you are in the Spirit. I want to finish reading this. Listen listen to verse 5. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world. The world listens to them. We are from God. And whoever knows God listens to us. But whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. Listen, we've got the word of God and we've got the Holy Spirit of truth. And I've got good news. We can overcome. And I've also got good news because his spirit is alive and well. You can know him today. What, what, what a powerful time of praise and worship at the beginning of the service. If you couldn't sense and feel the Spirit of God. He's here this morning. Now, we, we talked a little bit about answered prayer. Um, we're going to pray today. We're going to end the service by praying and seeking God. Some of you need an answer to prayer. He said, we have a confidence that not only I can pray, but I can have a confidence that God will answer my prayer. And so, first of all, if you're here and your heart's not pure, you can go to God today. And you can say, God, cleanse me and forgive me because God is greater than your heart. And God's able to cleanse you and and clean up your conscience and give you new life. And, And what he does, he says he gives you rest. This is how you will have rest in your heart. And if you're restless today and you don't have that peace in your heart and you're struggling with some sins and stuff and junk, you can take it to God and God will answer. If you haven't given your life to the Lord Jesus Christ today, you can invite him to come into your heart and life and be your Lord and Savior today. If some of you are here and you need an answer to prayer, we're going to go to God in prayer and believe God is going to give you that answer. Healing in your body, uh, releasing your finances, uh, restoration of relationships, uh, whatever it might be that's hurting and troubling you and you've been seeking God for an answer i believe god has that answer today amen because we have this confidence that whatever we ask him uh, he shall give it unto us let's stand together everyone standing everyone standing together i'm going to ask our altar workers to come right now we're going to open up the altar and close by praying today and if you need healing in your body we're going to anoint you with oil that's that's following the scriptural pattern Those who are sick among you, call for the elders and and anoint them with oil. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick and raise them up. If you need salvation, you come today. We're going to pray for you. You can give your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. Just tell one of these altar workers, I want to get saved today. I want to get right with God. I I want to make sure that that, that when the final test day comes, you'll say, well done. Thou good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of the Lord. Thanks for listening to this weekly podcast. Check out faithishere.org for podcasts and videos of our previous messages.